law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now that's what my NRSV reads. But as we discussed last time, the rendering here probably would be better to be the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who faith. All right? We pretty much uh, pulled that apart and explained why it is a grammatical issue here. Through faith is in genitive case. Hence, it's through the faith of Jesus not faith in Jesus. If it's faith of Jesus, then the second, uh, the second part of the sentence here works better. Through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who exercise belief, who faith. So instead of duplicating through faith in Jesus Christ for all who faith, which is a duplication of the faith on our part, you have the exercise of faith on the part of, of, of Jesus and then our response of faith. And it, uh, it indicates how it is applied to us. The righteousness, the kaiosune, the nature of God in God's perfection. We talked about the meaning of righteousness, the kaiosune, and, and one possible definition would be the nature of God in God's perfection. All that God is in God's holiness, in God's glory, in God's very nature. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who faith. For there is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God... They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the statement in regards to there is no distinction? Why does he say that? Between the Jews and the Gentiles once again? Yep, that's where we are. That's the context of the chapter. There is no distinction between Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. We all get into the family of God under the same conditions. The grace of God active in our lives for faith. Jesus' faith and our response of faith. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who faith. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. Since all have sinned, yes, Gentiles are sinners outside the law. They did not have the law. They did not know the law, but they are still sinners. Jews sometimes think they're not sinners, but they are. Just as we know many Christians who think they're not sinners, but they are. And, and you know, that concept, you're a sinner, has a real pejorative aspect to it, particularly when it's someone saying, you are a sinner. <laughs> and we don't want to hear that. It's a plural, you know, right? That's right. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> even the, the emphatic you. <laughs> the, the emphatic you. Exactly. 
It may even be specific. You know, I mean, I know people who have been told, you are a sinner. And then they proceed to delineate how you're a sinner. Well, thank you very much, as if I didn't know that. Now, who are you to be judging? Is the response that ought to come. I thought it was the end of that one that we have in church, and you also. <laughs> and and also heart. with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are we are sinners, and so are you. <laughs> and that really is the the the, the point and the reality here. Um, just because it it says all he says since all have sinned. That's not a judgment against any one certain person or even one group. Notice the all of the panta here. All have sinned. It's a statement of the, of the condition that was described earlier in the chapter when he's quoting from the Psalms and from Isaiah up there beginning at verse 10 as it is written all the way down through verse 18, which is a description of the condition of all human beings. Since all have sinned. And then he gives a definition here. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We lack God's righteousness. We lack God's glory, God's doxa. We fall short, eusteriontai. We fall short of God's glory. We don't measure up to God's expectation. We don't measure up to God's perfection. We are less than what God wants for us. We often think of sin as being the various things that we do. The word for sin in Greek is hamartia. I'll write it in English. Hamartia, and it is the Greek word for sin. Hamartia is an archery word. It's a, many terms in Greek can be traced to their usage in this way, and Paul uses a lot of military terminology in his language, in his speaking and writing. Hamartia is an archery word, and when, you were sh when you're shooting at a target and you fail to miss the mark, miss the middle, you've committed harmatia. You've failed to hit the mark. You've gone off the edge of the board, you've missed the board and hit the side of the barn. You, you've, you've, you've missed the side of the barn even. <laughs> You hit the guy walking by. You hit the guy walking by. That's a sin. That's a sin. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you haven't hit the mark. The mark is God's expectation for you. God's expectation for you may be greatly different. Karen, God's expectation for you may be greatly different than God's expectation for Rich. In some things. Amen, sister, right? Amen. Now, there's something that we're all going to have in common. About a great deal of God's will for us, we all have in common. But there's particularities for each individual that will vary from person to person. And if you have missed that mark, 
you've missed it. It doesn't matter how far you've missed it. You could be on the edge of the target. You could be halfway in. You still missed it. You could hit the bar, but not the target. You could hit the guy going to the bathroom. You've missed the target. It doesn't matter. Horseshoes only counts. I mean, getting close only counts in horseshoes. Getting close only counts in horseshoes. Here, it doesn't matter. I mean, in, tar in, in archery, you get points for how close you get in. Not in harmartia. Harmartia, if you don't get the middle, you've, you've committed harmartia. You've fallen short of the mark. And that, and in fact, you've fallen short usually because your arrow didn't even make it to the target. It, you, you, yeah, you, you <laughs> fire, you let go of the bow, and the arrow goes, and it doesn't make it to the target. Now, so often we hit other things, but frequently it's you, your, your, your arrow fell short, which is the essence of the meaning of the word. And Paul adopts it for the purpose of talking about sin. It's not the things that we do. It's not the particular things that people call sins that we do. Those are the symptoms. It's the very state of having fallen short, being incapable of even hitting the target, not hitting the mark in the middle, or hitting the bar if we think we're really good and we can't even hit the target. Hamartia means to fall short. So here he even gives the definition. For since all have sinned and fall short, all have harmatiaed and harmatia, the glory of God, essentially. He uses a different formation of the word, volasteriantai, but it, it's the same basic concept. He, he defines the word here. What is sinning? It's falling short of the glory of God. Not the things that you do bad. Not the things you do, should have done but didn't do. But simply the fact that you fall short of God's glory, of God's expectation, of God's will for you. But I have seen such innocence that I think this... Oversimplifies here because I've seen such innocence that there was there was no sin there, and I was thinking of children maybe growing up. I have seen children commit such horrific sin in their own self-will, the me mind syndrome. But I've also seen such innocence that it's not malicious. Sin isn't necessarily maliciousness. It's not intentional even. It's a simple state of desiring your own way. Period. That is what sinning is. I mean, we want to make it the things that we do or malicious intent or evil intent. Those are the symptoms of the have it your way. Of the sin nature. Of the sin nature, yes. Those are the symptoms of the idea that you can have it your way and God's way be damned. 
or you can have it your way and it doesn't matter who else it hurts or who else doesn't get their way. Sinning is not the things that you do or don't do so much as it is focusing your attention on yourself. And an infant does that. An infant does. It's not malicious. It's not evil in that regard. There's no intent to harm so much as there's just a desire to have it mine. You're born with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sin can be yeah. really cute. Because oh, mainly that self-preservation oh, yeah. is a an infant. Okay, and that's starting to then reflect part of how then as that infant starts to grow, that sin nature starts to we learn how to set aside aspects of the sin nature and do things that our culture teaches us to do. So we, we're not so narcissistic. We learn appropriate behavior. That doesn't save us. We're still sinners. We still wish to do our own thing and not the thing that God wants us to do. Does this get back to that original it, sin thing? Again? It is precisely the concept of original <laughs> sin. Yes, Karen? But if, if um, sin is falling short of God's expectations, then who's to say that a baby really is sinful? God's expectations for the baby are to be... Or, or maybe the baby is spiritually focused on God. We don't know God. the answer to that. Some people would say that that's, you know, the pre-accountability stage. Um, but if you understand the concept of original sin as something that is endemic to us, then it's there and functioning in that process. Now, not everything, this is going to sound really strange. I don't intend it to be strange, but it's a fact. Not everything that is sinful is necessarily bad. Yeah. You could do good things and have sinful motivation. And that is true, I believe, for infants. You know, are infants evil? No. Are infants malicious? Well, <laughs> I've, seen a, I've seen a one and two year old be very malicious. Um, but it's because they have not been taught how to rein in and control an aspect of that nature that's there. Um, innocence, yeah, I've seen great innocence in babies. Great innocence. But I've also seen there's that nucleus of that, that little seed of, of self-will. And that's really what it is. I've always said the first word my boys learned to say was mine. <laughs> my first word was it, light. But my next word was no. And no is... In, in a sense, in this context, a very sinful word. It is denying the superior will of my parent, in this case. And that reflects the rebelliousness of self-will. And a true... Uh, self-will does not... The will of the individual is not necessarily evil. It is when it's focused on itself that it becomes sinful. If the will is focused on God and are willing to allow God's will to become its will, then there's no problem. All right. Hamartia is falling short, not 
accomplishing God's will for you. And that can be in any, any way you can imagine. The more innocent, the better, because you don't identify it as such. You don't identify it as such. But it is still self-will. But I said I think a lot of it is because we've grown up, or at least I have, with the idea that sin is, is bad, sin is mm -hmm. evil. Mm -hmm. And that's where the stigma to being told you're a sinner comes from. Oh, yeah. And because it's said with such judgmentality by people who think they are not judgmental. And think they're better than you. They think are. you're better than me. Oh, I'm holier I'm, than holier no, than you are. They're, they're also not sinners. They're they're <laughs> like the Jews who were pointing the finger at the Gentile Christians and saying, "It's good you're in, but now you got to really get it and and become circumcised and adopt the dietary regulations and everything else." Be like us. Mm -hmm. Precisely, you've well, got to become like us. When the church sets up a definition like this. There's really no argument against it. There's no way to argue against it. There's no way to find a, a new path. There's no way to find, to uh, increase your understanding of something. It's just this old definition locked in. Which definition? This this sin? Yeah. It's, it's actually a very broad definition in the sense that what, as I said, what is falling short for me may not be falling short for Karen. There's a particularity within what it means to fall short. Yes, it's God's will for you, but God's will for one person is not necessarily going to be the same for someone else because we are different people. God has a different will for Karen than she has for me. God has a different will for me than is the will for Carol. But there's a commonality, but there's also a difference. Part of that commonality is to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, to, to reach out, as, as we learned in the Philippian studies, to, to, to reach out in humility to seek the betterment of others and not your own, as in Jesus coming and dying for us. It's actually a very broad definition in that sense. Instead of saying, okay, here's your list of sins. Now don't do any of these. And here's your list of good works and you make sure you do all of them. The, the don't do's and the do do's. Instead of having those two lists, <laughs> there's usually more don't than do. <laughs> Instead of having these two lists, it, it, it comes down to, okay, that which is not in within God's will for you is a sin. And I want to be very blunt here. Only you and God can determine that ultimately. There are lots of guidelines. Scripture is greatly helpful. It's the schoolmaster in this. But in the end, it, the determination is between you and God. And I dare not stand in between. Well, we all have our own faith experiences, and they're all different. Yes. And... No one can deny your faith faith experience and say theirs is any better than yours because they don't know what it is. Not really. They don't live inside you. They don't share your experience, your, your life. Mm -hmm. Now, with that understanding of sin, instead of being the list of things you've done wrong, it's missing the mark of God's will for you. 
And because we have all missed the mark of God's will for us. We can't save ourselves. We, we can't save ourselves. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they, and that reference right there, they, he's talking to the Jews about Gentiles. They are now justified by his grace as a gift. The word justified, digaio minoi, digaio sune, and formation thereof. They are now dikaiosuned, righteousified, given this righteousness, the righteousness of God through faith. They are given standing as if they've got it all. They are now justified by his grace as a gift. There's an interesting double statement because unmerited unearned favor as a gift can only be given as a gift and received as a gift it cannot be earned it cannot be added to it is always simply a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus so there's two kinds of righteousness or two modes of <laughs> and mine's better that's <laughs> Oh, what? Mine and yours. Oh, mine and yours, yeah. Mine's better. <laughs> yours is better. Uh, good Jewish Christian statement. <laughs> <laughs> there are two modes of righteousness. Imputed and imparted. Imputed and imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness, now that the world has gone upside down on us, the following definition no longer works very well. But back many years ago when O.J. Simpson was first tried and Judge Ito said, you are not guilty, and the jury said we find him not guilty even though the entire country, with the exception of a few people, knew that he was as guilty as can possibly be. From that point on, his guiltlessness was imputed to him. He was considered not guilty. Regardless of the facts of the case, he was treated by the court and by the justice system as if he had not committed the crime. He was found not guilty, period. The status of being not guilty was imputed to him, stamped on his paperwork, and he carried that with him. All right? That is the kind of event that we've got right here in verse 24. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is what is known in theological circles as imputed righteousness. We're not yet righteous. <clears throat> oh boy, are we not. We haven't attained the glory that God wants for us. We still miss the mark. We still fall far short of that target. We still hit the broadside of the barn. 
it, it, we still hit the guy in the butt who's going to the bathroom. Doesn't matter, we fail. But nevertheless, God has determined that God is going to treat us as if we were just as righteous as Jesus, just as perfect as Jesus, just as glorified as Jesus. This is called imputed righteousness, where the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. We are considered and treated as if we are just as perfect as Jesus. Yeah, right before that, at least you'd love this, because right before that, we're all sinners. Uh -huh. But, you, you are a sinner, but you have imputed righteousness. Be we are sinners. The description in verses 10 through 18 applies to us. But because of Jesus' faith on the cross, Jesus' faith in his entire life, but penultimate point on the cross, and because of our response of faith to that, what Jesus did for us is then applied to us. Our sins are redeemed, forgiven, paid for, and we are considered as if we are as just as sinless and perfect as Jesus. It, it doesn't matter what you do, in a sense, because you have been forgiven. And it doesn't matter how much you've been forgiven. It doesn't matter what that you've done. leads into that. Well, it also, well, in a sense, that is true, though. It doesn't matter what you do. In the sense that Jesus died for all sin, past, present, and future. So, in theory, yeah, but the intent and the force You're there is past. I know it is. I know it is, but the, but the question becomes, is it... Is it the particular sins that you commit that knock you out of, out of Christ? Or is it the intent of leaving Christ that does it? See, that's what, I, that's what I believe. And to me, it's not the particular sins that will do it, although a habitual otherwise process you would, of Otherwise, sin. you would have no assurance of salvation. Otherwise, you would have a, a revolving door constantly going in and out of the, out of the body of Christ. I don't believe that. Instead, you can, over a long period of time of neglect, slip into the state where you, you, by not participating in the life of faith, not exercising faith, not living in Christ Jesus, you, in effect, move into the state of denial of Christ in your life. But that's, a, that's called backsliding, and it's a very long process. It's not something that happens overnight. But you can get up and deny Christ Jesus, and then bango, you're out. I mean, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Now, the idea of doing that is beyond my conception. But I know people who have. Mm -hmm. Now, it, but in a sense, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do. Jesus still died for it. Jesus still died for those who have denied him. Now, just because he died for the the sin of atheism doesn't mean that they're forgiven for that if they haven't made the connection of faith right here to him. Um, imputed righteousness is where God considers us to be as sinless as Jesus. Gives us 
the clothing, if you will, or the label, or the, the moniker of sinless. We're still as sinful as can be. But we are treated, we are presumed not guilty. Now, what's the difference between imputed and imparted? What did you tell us? Imparted <laughs> was like if you impart something to somebody. Thank you. Pre it's in the meaning of the word. Yeah. Impute means to stamp on or consider something as having it. In this case, the kaiosune, righteousness. To impart means that that righteousness becomes part of them. Impart. They actually start to become righteous. This is known in theological circles, imputed righteousness is known as justification. Uh, of course. And this is known sanctification. Okay. All right? Justification is imputed righteousness. Where the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, we are considered as sinless as Jesus. We are treated as if we are Jesus in the sense that we are sinless in the eyes of God. Doesn't matter if we are murderers. Doesn't matter what sins we have committed. We are considered as if we are Jesus in terms of righteousness. Impartation occurs then over time with this status, living in grace, partaking of the means of grace, living in faith, exercising faith continually results in the process known as sanctification or the imparting of righteousness. Where what we were judged to be true starts to actually become true. And the things that we did, the symptoms of our sinful nature begin to decline as, the, as we start to discover that God, in God's grace, gives us the ability to start hitting the target and hitting the mark. You think when Paul was talking, he was talking about anybody other than Christians? Here he's talking to Jewish Christians about Gentile Christians saying That's that all. You've assumed that only you have it right. And they are outside. They have failed to, to live up to the kind of life that you think they should have. Well, guess what? We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. It's always by faith connecting us to the source, which is Jesus and his death on the cross, the redemption that we have in him. It's all... And it's true for all of us. And he meant that all, all who believe, all who Christians who believe in Christ. For all who faith. It's, it's verse 22. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus for all who faith. Not for those who don't faith. Not for those who don't exercise belief. But only for those who faith. That's the limitation. 
And it'll, it, 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 we're going to see this in just a second. The next Doesn't that ever worry you, Minister? Absolutely. It would be such a locked-in system, and people would be all around the outside, but just this locked-in system only concerning Christians. Doesn't that worry you? Uh, yes, and it's the reason why we are called to reach out to all with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the motivation for the Great Commission. I would love to believe in universal salvation, where it's it's um, uh, where it says if you if you could rewrite this to say the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all. I'd love to be able to do that. I'd love to. What's stopping you? It doesn't work that way. It, well, right. wait, wait, wait. Okay, but that. there's reasons for all who believe, for yeah, all who faith. Is the we're locked into the Bible and we're locked into no one the one comes. interpretation that the church allows us to have. No, Jesus allows us to have. Possibly, possibly, but I'm saying the church. No one Jesus comes, is gone. No the church is running the, things now. No one comes there to are, the Father except through me. Jesus. Jesus. And that's pretty selfish. I mean, well, okay, <laughs> then let's, that's, let's, that's let's examine that statement because I believe that statement. I do too. But I believe that statement is true for those who know Jesus and even for those who don't know Jesus by that name. If God's going to save anybody, God's going to save that, them through what Jesus did for them, period. Now, does it mean that they have to do this? I'll answer your question this way, Lee. I don't see anything in here that says... The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ only for all those who faith. I don't see the word only there. But I do see for all who faith. Which tells me that there, the sure and certain way in is through faith. Exercising your faith in the faith of Jesus Christ. I just think it limits I really think it limits. If you God. were to assume that God cannot receive anybody on any other basis than faithing in Jesus, then yes. Now see, only through Jesus Christ. But but only through but you see, God has the ability, because of what Jesus did, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, if God wants to receive Someone who's never heard of Jesus, never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can. It'd be a hard sell for the church to suddenly say that. And they, and, and they would come to God through Jesus, through what Jesus did on the cross. That's called Christian universalism. And there are Christians who believe that. A lot of Christians who believe that. A lot of Christian in mainline denomination, not just universalists, who believe that eventually, if not in this life that eventually all will be saved through what Jesus did on the cross. Not one bit of Jesus' blood was wasted. Is God is this God imputes righteousness, right? This God. is God doing it. And Imputing God imparts righteousness also? Or do yes. We, okay. Okay. No, no. So God we, does both of those. So why wouldn't, if he can impute righteousness, which means we're basically all innocent, we're going to treated sin, innocent, yeah. we're treated as innocent. Which I'd rather be treated as innocent than be innocent and treated as guilty. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. oh yeah. I'm real aboard with the treated part. All right. Especially from the supreme being. Then it would. It, but not everybody. Okay, I'll use this step. I'll use this bit. This argument. Not everybody wants to be in a relationship with God. That's right. 
That's Some correct, but he imputed you anyway. No, he, the, 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 the known... The faith that isn't the there. Known, the known basis for the imputation that's in Scripture is faithing in Jesus, in the faith of Jesus. All right? So you're only imputed if you have faith in Jesus. That's what it says. The only way that we have here of knowing. Now, is it possible that other people have righteousness imputed to them, even though they don't have faith in Jesus, in the faith of Jesus? I don't know. Well, you know, when we when we get into into the last days, it's talking about the the dead will rise. Yeah. The 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 forefathers and the sure. ancestors that never knew Jesus. The Old yeah, Testament exactly. saints. They couldn't. You see that they, they are, but they come in through Jesus. So. Anybody the, the the basis here is any anybody who enters into relationship with God enters heaven, whatever that means, does it through what Jesus did on the cross, dying for the sins of the whole world. Okay, but you can also say this is just Paul's philosophy. Okay, you can if you wish. Um, and, it, and it leaves it wide open for God. Because oh, this is just Paul's philosophy. I would say that, it, that everything is wide open for God. God can do whatever God wants. Okay, the definition of God is omnipotence. But the church was Christian, so... I would say <laughs> that, that the revelation of Jesus Christ and the church's experience of Christ Jesus has resulted in, in understanding that God has generated this restricted path. God only wants people who will exercise faith, who will willingly relinquish their own self-will to God and live in faith. Now, now, does that mean that God will only? I don't know. But I do know that if you do this, that you, you you have a pathway into relationship per with God. Paul. Per Paul. And through the experience of 2,000 years of the church. Per Paul. Now, are there other routes in? I don't know. But if but if it was if it was universal salvation, there would have been no reason for Christ to come and die on the cross. Well, Christian universalism would say that, yes, there is, that Jesus comes and dies on the cross paying for the sins of the whole world so that all men would be saved. Sounds the a little like John, right? The idea, well, no, because John recognized there are many who don't live in the light. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the argument of Calvinists who say that grace is irresistible. If you believe that grace is irresistible, that you can't say no to God's love and favor, then if Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, everybody is saved. You ask a good question. Uh, I think that noting that it doesn't say only in here gives us the ability to say that it is up to God what God does, which we ought to recognize anyway because God is God. Yeah. However, we see this route, and I would rather not... Um, you know the game of you know the game of craps where you you throw dice. You know I I'd rather be sure of hitting seven 
than of crapping out, all right? <laughs> and, and taking a chance on some other route that I don't have any scriptural basis for. Well, I would, since we're wide open, I just said, why not? Let's just open it up and look. I don't have a problem with asking that. the question. Yeah. <laughs> and, but uh, I, mean, I don't have a problem with the question at all. It, in fact, helps us to examine the question. Maybe. But uh, at the same time, at the end of 2,000 years of living with this and, and considering where it comes from and who wrote it and what he says here, I, I would rather <clears throat> follow along with what Paul says. But that's me. Well, let me go on later on. It talks about Abraham and his faith, but he didn't know Jesus either. No, he didn't. But that's actually the basis for the doctrine. When Jesus died, he did, descended into the dead and preached the gospel to those Old Testament saints. <laughs> Darn, that just messes it up. <laughs> Which comes out of three days. Peter. And what happened? Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad he did that because you know it would have been real simple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who faith. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is justification. All right? Justified, righteousified. Dikaiosune is the root word here. They are now justified given the moniker of righteous like Jesus, the righteousness of God, given that moniker, its reality isn't there. But the presumption is that they are. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, his act on the cross dying for our sins, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement, we're going to have to come back and hit this verse again. This is where we were last week. As a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. This is the reason why, verse 25a, is the reason why the death of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world does not mean universal salvation. All right? Because it is effective through faith. It, we are connected to Christ's faith in our faith. Whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement. The, the, one other translation here is propitiation. Which Here's is a what I wonderful jaw-breaking word. Mm -hmm. Propitiation. It's also in the NAS 95. Wow. And what it, well, we're going to look, this is where we're going to come back to next week. But uh, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. The, the word here in Greek is hilasterion. Hilasterion is the act of making a sacrifice of atonement. It's also the place where that sacrifice was made. 
the mercy seat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then in the temple, when they would make the sacrifice of atonement and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. That mercy seat in the Greek Old Testament is called the helisterion, the place where atonement is made. And what it says here is, whom God put forward as the sacrifice of atonement, as the one of atonement, the person of atonement, the place of atonement on the cross when he died for us, the place of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. So we are connected to Christ's atoning sacrifice for sin. The payment for sin. In the Old Testament terminology, when they would take the, 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 the slaughtered animal's blood in and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant three times, that sprinkling of the blood would pay for the sins of all the people. And that's essentially what Jesus is, the, the, the type of, and those are the shadows. Jesus is the type of that. And therefore he is the place and he is the act. And, and, and his death on the cross is the penultimate moment of history where all sin is forgiven. But then that, that act of universal atonement is then applied particularly through faith. Made effective through faith. And he did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And you see, that puts a whole lot of... That's, I think that's why we all have trouble. Us um, earthly people here versus the preacher. <laughs> we have trouble uh, because that puts all, everything on faith. Christ None faith of this counts unless you have faith. And it's difficult to have faith in somebody who told his son, his human son, we're going to torture you and you're going to die and you follow this or elsewise. And with all that torture and death, guess what? I love you, son. I love you so much. I'm giving you up for everybody else, even though I'm really you. So, how, you know, you're going, okay, well, let me have faith in that. Because if I don't have faith in that... I missed the mark. I missed the mark. But right? your faith so tough is, for us. It's tough for is us. in Jesus' faith. Right. In his faith in the Father. And in his faith in the Father that the Father would honor his faith. Raise him from the dead. Honor the sacrifice of his whole life. For the whole world. That, that's where our faith is focused. That's a lot of faith, though. Of course it's a lot of faith. So we're exercising faith in the faith of Jesus. Yes. And Jesus' faith was in God. Ultimate. Was His in the Father. So it's like, like praying through the saints or something. It's, Jesus <laughs> is, the, is our the intermediary. Connector. Okay, yeah. 
That has always been the proclamation, that Jesus intercedes with the Father for us. He is our intercessor. Now, we can make intercessory prayer for others to Christ, but he, he is the mediator between us and the Father. And our faith is in him and what he did for us and in his faith in the Father, that the Father would raise him from the dead, would accept the sacrifice, accept the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice in his blood, and pay for the sins of the whole world, but specifically for our own. And, and uh, that, that is then connects us to the blood of the cross and, and connects us to Jesus, and then through Jesus to the Father. This is Trinitarian. That's why I'm saying Father here, not just God. Because Paul has an unarticulated Trinitarian theology. It's very clear. That's what Lee pointed out. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He pointed out brilliantly. Now, this paragraph from 21 through 26 is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most important paragraphs in Scripture for dealing with the concept of, of justification, of, of salvation, if you will. The basis for it, the theological basis for particular salvation within the Christian framework. To answer Lee's question again, which one? <laughs> the principal question you've asked. You've asked it. You know, Lee, you asked it last year too in Disciple Four, and and you and it needed it needs to be asked. My answer is simple. While God can save anyone God wants because of what Jesus did, and any way that God wants to save them because of what Jesus did. I have this sure route right here, this map, for, for, for getting into heaven, if you want to use those terms. I'd rather go with the sure route and be sure that I would roll seven every time than run the risk of crapping out. Well, that's your map for, to hit the target. Yes. And you're not even going to be... It is going to, the arrow's going to drop off the bow if you don't have, if you don't have this map. You don't even know where to point that bow. Well, it, if you don't have the map, it's like you're standing there with your we'll eyes closed. And you might be listening to someone say, okay, a little bit to your left, a little bit to your right, a little bit up, a little bit down. And you might actually manage to hit the map from time to time, the, the target from time yeah. to time. But, I mean, it's better to have your eyes open looking at the map and be looking at the target. And so that would be my answer. Is it possible that... There are people who are in heaven who, who didn't come in through this particular route. I don't mean not through Jesus, but I mean through their individual faith in Jesus, knowing what they're doing. I will guarantee you that there are people in heaven who, who, didn't, follow it, that man. who didn't come out and say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, if it gets back to meeting God's expectations then it certainly would be possible that people could do that outside of... They would do it the same way that Abraham did. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Abraham certainly wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. But he had faith. And as we find out elsewhere in Paul's writings, Abraham is sort of uh, the type in the old, the shadow in the Old Testament of what Jesus is in the new in one respect. Because he exercised faith in the promises of God and was justified for it. And really that's what you're talking about, is relinquishing your will. Exercising faith in the promises of God is relinquishing your will to God's will. Which is what Jesus did when he said, not my will but thine be done. So we relinquish our will to God's will. Jesus died for their sins. They didn't know his name, but they, they lived in faith in Yahweh to the degree of the light that had been revealed to them at the time. And God honored that. Does God honor other people? I don't know, but I actually think yes. But I still got the sure certain route and I'd rather share it. It's the motiv motivation for the Great Commission. You're going to say, you can say, I don't know if this is the only way to heaven, but I know it is a sure and certain way. Which I think is probably a more honest statement than to say this is the only way, period. And it's my own, and it's, this is it. It's the only way that I know that is sure and certain. It's the only way that God has revealed to us that is sure and certain. Within, within Christ Jesus. And that's what I would share. But I'm also going to be humble enough to say, if God wants to admit, if, if when I get to heaven I find out that Adolf Hitler is there, I'm not going to go storming out. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think I don't think we'll find Adolf Hitler there. Yeah. But if when I get there I find out he is, I'm not going to be mad. I'm going to be very happy I'm there. And that is actually the illustration of the attitude that one should have. Not how dare they get to heaven. But how wow. How the heck did I get here? And the answer would be Jesus. And, and the answer would then be Jesus for them. Regardless of their knowledge of him. That's the basis of, again, Christian universalism. I'd love to be a Christian universalist, but I see too much in Scripture that says there are conditions. And these are, these are the sure and certain conditions that I've got. Right here in front of me. I'd rather live by this. And this is not hard. Well, let me rephrase that. It's very hard. But it's possible. Whereas living the law, per, obeying 100% of the Torah all the time is not but getting, meeting God's expectations would be possible using a different map. If the, if the method, if the method for meeting God's expectations involved the same basic principle of of faith, of relinquishing your will to God's will, I would say that's true, okay. hypothetically speaking. Um, that's what I was sticking to. <laughs> I understand that, and that's. God has God, God has not locked himself into anything other than 
at least my reading of Scripture tells me, the only thing God has locked himself into is that Jesus died for all sin. So if anybody gets into heaven, period, it's because of what Jesus did, regardless of their knowledge of it and knowledge of him. Now, God's also locked himself, in a sense, derived from that into a pathway. But is it exclusive? To say, well, Jesus is the only way is not necessarily denied by saying that there may be another map other than what we have right here. So long as you understand that that map follows the route through Jesus and what he did on the cross. If sin, if hamartia, is falling short of God's will, demanding your own will take precedence over God, if that's the essence of sin, then relinquishing your will to God and following God's will for you is, yeah, is faith, is exercising faith in a very rudimentary sense. But we've got Jesus. We've got the easy way. I would say... He's going to hold your hand we and actually, follow his example. We you almost have way. a parallel situation to what existed in the days of Paul. And we are the Jewish Christians. Mm-hmm. We've got this sure and certain way. <laughs> and they need to hear it. And Paul was saying to the Jewish Christians, they get in the same way you do, through Jesus, by grace, through faith in Jesus. And the question is, is there, is that statement therefore true beyond faithing in Jesus? Specifically, particularly, individually. Yeah. The name. It's with the name of Jesus. With the knowledge of who he is, even if you use a different name for him, as some cultures do, um, a form derived from, from some other form of, of Yahshua. Um, they're still talking about the same person who did the same thing on the cross. Same story, same events, same source. Uh, it, I don't know if you can go beyond that particular faith. I, I, I would rather not argue that you can. Because I've got this route right here. I'd rather stick with it. Um, recognizing we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. Jesus died for the sins of all. And, hit, and what he did on the cross for us becomes in, and his righteousness becomes imputed to us for faith in Jesus. We have that sure statement, and I'd rather go with that. What comes next after that, the imparted process, flows later in Romans. But I needed to kind of, I needed to kind of bring both of them up at this point. Are there any more questions? <laughs> you notice I didn't address verse 26, the question of, and, he, uh, and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus? Yeah. Um, they have my question mark in my of. Ton ek pistuos Jesu is absolutely, definitely genitive, the faith of Jesus. Uh-huh. The ek is determinative here. It has to be. Oh, the last two letter words 
Yeah. Okay. Faith in Jesus. 27, right before 27. You should be of Jesus. Ton ek pistuos Jesu. Remember last? Ek in Greek. The, the, the uh, preposition. I'm going to raise my question mark. Ek <laughs> in Greek means from, of, out of. From, of, and out of. It can sometimes mean in, as in coming out from within. So it means, to, to retranslate that, and, and that he justifies, righteousifies, the one who has the faith from Jesus, of Jesus, out of Jesus, has their faith. That I'd love to be able to add there. The one who has their faith from Jesus. That's almost stronger, although you're adding there. But that preposition, combined with the genitive case, makes the argument absolutely 100% sound. Unless you're going to say this is not objective but subjective. And I disagree with that. It's bounced back now to talking about the faith of. And it's the faith of Jesus that you have. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has the faith of Jesus or has their faith from Jesus. Either are strong translations of that passage. I got sat down and reread the reread well, both, both of those make the action coming from God and from Jesus to us rather than the opposite way. Right, but through us. Right. To and through us. So that we have, just he justifies the one who has the faith or their faith from or of Jesus. That's that faith thing again. Mm -hmm. You have to have the faith. You have, faith. you have to exercise it. It has to be active belief. And it has to be yours. But its source is being underlined here. Jesus's. And you may have only the, the tiniest little smidgen from imputation. And not the massive quantity that you would have in imputing at the end of the imputational phase when you die. But the smidgen is all that matters in terms of imputation, in terms of justification, righteousification, or being considered sinless, even though you're not. Being considered or declared not guilty even though you are guilty, guilty, guilty. Eventually you become less guilty. <laughs> but that doesn't add to your salvation. It simply reflects the presence of God's presence in you. Okay. We got absolutely no verses this week. <laughs>
You have been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2008 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.